You can open with me to 1 John chapter 5. That's where we will begin tonight. I'm going to pray for us here in just a moment, and then we will get started. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, and we are, Lord, indeed grateful that we can come to your throne of grace to find mercy and help in times of need. And Lord, there are all sorts of needs represented in this room. Uh, Lord, we all have needs. Uh, we all have issues going on in our lives. Uh, Lord, we, we need provision, we need strength, we need wisdom. Uh, Lord, we need help, we need comfort. Uh, Lord, all sorts of needs. And Lord, you made us and you know us perfectly. You know what our needs are. And I just pray that, Lord, tonight you would just 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 do a, a mighty work of ministry in our midst. I pray that you would that you would just draw near to us, that you would encourage us, uh, that you would inspire us, that we would leave this place, Lord, with our hearts and our minds focused upon you. So, Lord, use your word tonight. God, I pray that you, by your spirit, through your word, would give us some very practical solutions to finding rest, to finding margin, to finding balance uh, in, in this world, which is so fast-paced and so chaotic. And Lord, we'll thank you for that grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Overcoming Overload is the name of our study. And if you missed last week, no worries. I'm going to catch you up in in two minutes. A two-minute review of last week. And so really, you're probably better off if you didn't come last week. All right? You didn't get the long-winded one-hour version. All right? But here's the, here's the, the recap from last week. First of all, we talked about three reasons we often feel overloaded and overwhelmed in this life. First of all, we talked about the pressures of life, just, just the, the circumstances, the ever-changing circumstances in life. If you notice that life changes all the time, and you get things just kind of like you want them, then something happens, right? And, and, and there's all this pressure to, to, to provide for your family and to, to deal with the issues that life throws your direction, and the pressures of life can make you feel overloaded and overwhelmed. Also, the pain of life, when, when hard things happen, when difficult things happen, they cause grief, and they cause sadness, and they cause emotional responses, and often we can be just weighed down, like we're under a heavy burden with just the pain of life, just the, the different problems that come uh, in, in, in our day-to-day living. And then we talked about the pace of life, that life is so fast-paced. I believe this is an issue uh, that, is, that we are experiencing at an all-time high. I believe that families live at a faster pace than they ever have before. There's a variety of reasons for that. We're a more mobile society. Uh, we, are, we are a more technological society. And all of that just keeps us frantic and busy all of the time. And, and to be honest, there, there are probably some in this room tonight and you are worn out by the pace of life. As a matter of fact, this is the first time you've sat still for more than 10 minutes in a long time. And, and you're, just, you're just frazzled by the pace of life. You know, I was thinking about it. When you are overwhelmed by the pressures of life and the pain of life and the pace of life, you're always living in reactive mode. Right, you're always just trying to just kind of keep up with, with with whatever life is throwing your direction, and you're never able to get to that point where you are intentionally serving God, where you're intentionally doing things for the kingdom because you're just so overwhelmed by life. 
And that's where a lot of families, a lot of Christian families, find themselves. So what's the solution? We're going to unpack the solution over the next seven weeks. Uh, But uh, here here they are in just a nutshell. Number one, you need a Savior. We're going to talk about that tonight. Number two, you need a Sabbath. God has designed us to need rest and designed us to... Uh, to build rest into the fabric of our lives, the rhythm of our lives. You need a sanctuary, a place to get away and be still before God. You need sustenance, that's the Word of God that that feeds your soul. You need supplication, that's prayer. Uh, You need to be able to talk to God and give your burdens to Him. You need to simplify your life. We'll have a lot of fun talking about that one. And then, seven, you need a sovereign. You need to understand that God's in control and you can trust Him with whatever's going on in your life. So we want to unpack those one by one. And, And those are the solutions, if you will, to this idea of being overwhelmed by life. So, let's look at the first one tonight. You need a Savior. Just... FYI, if you read the book by Stephen Mary Farrar, this chapter, You Need a Savior, is the last chapter in the book. And I thought, well, that's that. you, you need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I put the Savior at the beginning of the whole deal because if you wait to the end to get to Jesus, then, then something's wrong with that picture. So, so You Need a Savior is our first topic that we're going to discuss uh, tonight. And, and, and by the way, most of this just comes straight from, from my notes I've put together. I, I, I didn't really um, reference that chapter a whole lot uh, in preparation for this study. So most of this is mine, but it's adapted from... Uh, the book by the Ferrar. So, you need a Savior. Why do you need a Savior when you feel overwhelmed by life? When you feel frazzled, worn out, frantic, why do you need a Savior? Well, let me give you five answers to that question, and then we'll be through. Number one, you need a Savior to have eternal life. You need a Savior to have eternal life. Look what it says in 1 John chapter 5. These are some of the, the clearest most powerful verses in the Bible, just because they, there's just no mistaking their meaning. Look what it says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. John writes here, the Apostle John, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. That's life beyond the grave. And this life is in His Son. So he gives us eternal life, and it's found in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Speaking of eternal life in context. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So eternal life begins. John 17 says that the moment we meet Christ, he gives eternal life. That means that even when we die, we keep on living in that wonderful place called heaven. And so it's very clear If you have the Son, in other words, if you are a follower of Christ, if you've embraced Him by faith, if Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior, if you have the Son, you have eternal life. It's yours. It's it's a gift that God has given you. But if you don't have the Son, if you've kept Jesus at arm's length for whatever reason or just haven't seen your need for Jesus, if you don't have the Son, you don't have the eternal life that John is talking about. When you die, instead of going to a place of light and life and joy in that wonderful place called heaven, you will go to a place of darkness and torment and eternal separation from the one true God. An awful place called hell. And so it's just that simple. If you have the Son, you have life. You don't have the Son, you don't have life. So, 
when you know you have eternal life because of Jesus, this gives us hope. This gives us hope. No matter what happens to you, you can't, you can't be robbed of your hope, right? Because you know that as hard as life can be, there's something much better in our future. There's, there's something much better beyond this old world. And that fills your heart, it fills your mind, it fills your soul with hope, even though life can be very, very difficult. And I was just saying uh, to... to um, to our members a moment ago, we're talking about just a tragic situation in their family, and 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 we we're talking about people that face tragedy in their life without Jesus. And, and, you know, my question was, how does someone cope when they deal with the inevitable pain of life and they don't have hope beyond this world? Listen, if this world is if if this world's all you have, that's a pretty miserable thing, isn't it? pretty miserable thing. If this is all you got, if this is all you have to look forward to in your life, is just this world, then, then that's a pretty sad deal. But when you know Jesus Christ, when you have the Son, you have eternal life, and you have eternal life, you have hope beyond the hardship, beyond the frantic pace of this world, you have an abiding hope that fills up your life and gives you that perspective in this life. And so you need a Savior, first of all, very practically, to have eternal life. Because if you don't have a Savior... You don't have life. You don't have eternal life. You are lost and headed to hell. Number two, let me give you another reason you need a Savior. You need a Savior to experience abundant life. To experience abundant life. You can look over with me in John chapter 10. Jesus is teaching in this chapter and he's talking about being the good shepherd. And he says something interesting in John chapter 10, verse 10. Look what he says. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says, The thief, speaking here of Satan, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Don't miss that. You have an enemy that hates you. He hates you. He hates your marriage. He hates your kids. He hates your family. He hates your church. He hates your pastor. He he hates us. And over in 1 Peter 5, it says that the, the devil is like a roaring lion seeking those whom he can devour. I read a story, it's been a few months ago, but it was about um, a place in California where they had caught a mountain lion. You know, mountain lions are dangerous. And they had tagged this mountain lion so they could follow its movements. And one day, somebody decided to look in on the mountain lion and see what, uh, what it had been up to. And they were surprised at what the mountain lion had been doing that very day. It had gone, the mountain lion had gone into a very uh, suburban neighborhood. You know, there's kids out playing and dogs and pets. And there's this mountain lion, you know, in the neighborhood. Then the mountain lion went to a target and laid under, they pinpointed, laid under a bush just outside of target and laid under that bush watching people walk by for nine hours. imagine walking by there with your little toddler or whatnot and and there's this mountain lion you don't see just sitting there watching people pass by and i read that and i thought man that is a powerful illustration of satan 
Satan is a roaring lion. He wants to steal and kill and destroy. And he will wait. He's patient. He knows what he's doing. He will wait for the opportune moment to pounce and to destroy. And Jesus says, the thief has come to to steal and kill and destroy. I came, he says, that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus is saying here, you don't have to wait to get to heaven to live. I've come to give you abundant life in the here and now. That's what it means when you follow me as your Lord and Savior. When I'm your shepherd, Jesus is saying, I give you life. I give you abundant life. And that's opposite of Satan. Satan wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. Jesus wants to give you abundant life. This gives us joy. This gives us joy. When when Jesus is your Lord and Savior, when you know that you're in His hand and no one and nothing can snatch you out of His hand, when you know that He is with you and He'll never leave you nor forsake you, you can have a joy no matter what your circumstances are, right? Doesn't matter. Because even if you lost everything, you have Jesus, and Jesus is enough. Jesus gives you abundant life. And that's what he's saying here in John chapter 10, verse 10. I've come to give you abundant life. This gives us joy. Christians ought to be joyful people. This doesn't mean we walk around happy, happy, happy all the time. There's a difference between happiness and joy. Do you know that? Sometimes, sometimes there's not much to be happy about, but you have this sense of, of knowing that Jesus is your shepherd and he is with you in the midst of anything that life throws at you. And knowing that about Jesus Christ gives you a deep, real, lasting, abiding joy that no one can take away. And so... You need a Savior to have eternal life. You need a Savior to to experience abundant life. Number three, you need a Savior to find your identity. You need a Savior to find your identity. Look over with me in Galatians chapter 2. And this is so important. I want you to tune in with me here. Galatians chapter 2. Verse 20, Paul here is writing to the church in Galatia, the church is in Galatia, and he, he shares with them his identity, how he sees himself, how he views himself. And look what he says in Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so uh, Paul is saying here that my life is fully and wholly identified with Jesus. My old self died. I was crucified. Just like Jesus was crucified on the cross, when I embraced him as Lord and Savior, I was united to him in a personal relationship, and my old self died. My old self was crucified. And now what you see in me, Paul's saying, is you see the Jesus in me. You see Jesus living his life through me, which is a pretty awesome thought, isn't it? There's a, we could drill down real deep on Galatians 2.20, but we don't have time to do that. But, but, but what Paul's saying here is this. He's saying, he's saying, this is my identity, who I am in Christ. And this is so critical for you and for me because this gives us perspective. 
This gives us perspective. You know, sometimes people can, can stand just a healthy dose of perspective in their life, can't they? Just a healthy dose of perspective. And if you understand what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be in Christ, you will have a perspective that can guide you through the pain and the pressures and the pace of life. So, so let me say it like this. Let's do it in a negative sense first, then we'll talk about our identity in a positive sense. First of all, you don't have to be defined by your past. A lot of people find their identity in their past. And everything that they feel, everything that they say, everything that they think is filtered through their past. And that's a really unhealthy way to live. It's it's a miserable way to live because there's not a thing you can do about your past, is there? And, And when you can't get past your past, you're going to be miserable. But a lot of people are defined by their past, some past event, some past something, some past sin, some past failure, some past success. You know, a lot of churches focus more on the past than they do on the future. Do you know that? They focus more on, on, on the, I mean, you heard people say this, the glory days. Well, listen, if you have the Word of God and the Spirit of God, and the people of God, you can have glory days now, can't you? If you make disciples and go after the nations and preach the word, you can have and be people of prayer, you can have glory days. Stop looking at the past. Don't let, don't let the past define you. Don't let the past define you. But a lot of people, they find their incomplete identity in their past. Secondly, you don't have to be defined by your problems. You don't have to be defined by your problems. Everybody, even believers, have problems. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Because we live in a fallen world. It's been cursed by sin. We're surrounded by sinners. And guess what? We're sinners too. Things are going to go haywire. Right? They are. You're going to have problems. Things don't always work the way you think they ought to work, and things don't always go the way you think think, uh, things should go. And so a lot of people are defined by their problems. You know, it's it's kind of this this Eeyore. That's the world I live in, Winnie the Pooh. and This kind of this Eeyore mentality, right? Woe is me. You know, I'm so upset. I'm so sad. I'm so hurt, I'm so this, I'm so that. And, and, and if you're not careful, and all you focus on is your problems, uh, are your problems, if you're not careful, they can define who you are. They can become your very identity. And in pe- instead of people seeing the work of Jesus in you, they see a person that just can't get past their problems. They can't find victory in their life because everything they do is filtered through that grid of how hard their life is. And, and they keep telling God how big their problems are instead of telling their problems how big their God is. And so, don't let problems be your identity. That's, again, a miserable way to live. Third, you don't have to be defined by your parents. You could put family in parentheses there. 
trying to think at what level I want to step on toes right now. <clears throat> I've heard people justify sin by saying, that's just how I was raised. I've heard people justify things like racism. Well, that's just, that's just how I was raised. Now, I say this all due respect. I'm not being mean or I'm not being ugly. I'm really not. You may have had wonderful, loving parents and family members, but if part of your raising was racism, they were wrong in that area. That's a sin. And in that area of your life, they were wrong. You know your parents weren't perfect, right? They were wrong. And so this idea that we are defined by how our parents raised us or who our parents were. Of course, our, our parents play a huge role in our lives, a shaping role in our lives, and an integral role in our lives. But you don't have to be bound by the same, by the same things that perhaps bound up your parents. A lot of people live with this generational sin that, that they just can't get past things. And it, it, you, see, you see sin go from generation, same thing, generation, generation, generation. By the power of Jesus, listen, you can break out of generational sin. Do you know that? By the power of Jesus? You say, no, I can't. Well, then you're denying the power of an omnipotent God. So a, lot of people, a lot of times people don't break out of generational sin because they don't really want to. Right? And so, don't, don't be defined by your parents. Love your parents, honor your parents, respect your parents, right? That's all important. But understand that you're responsible in the here and now to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ, whatever that means for your life. Even if that means breaking out of some patterns that you learn from, not even just parents, but grandparents or, or extended family, if, 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 if following Jesus means you've got to go a different direction than your family, then follow Jesus. Okay? Your parents aren't infallible. They're not. They weren't infallible. They're not now. So follow Jesus, whatever that means for your life. Now, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. But we've got to, we've got to, to, to get to a place where we're not defined by family. We're defined by Jesus. You understand what that means? And so you don't have to be defined by your parents. Number four, you don't have to be defined by your profession. By your profession. Your profession, listen to me, is what you do. It's not who you are. And if your profession ever becomes who you are, you are setting yourself up for major disappointment. Because your profession can come to an end. You can lose your job, you can get fired, you can make a mistake, you can whatever. And and if your total being, your emotional well-being is tied up in, in what you do, you're setting yourself up for colossal, devastating pain. Because a profession is what we do, it's not who we are. Now, I want to be clear, God puts callings on our lives. And, and your profession and you serving your profession is a very, a very important thing. All right? It's important to, to follow God's will for your life and do what God's called you to do. But, 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 don't let your profession become a, a bigger defining marker in your life than your relationship with Christ. 
And here's, a, here's an indicator of that. If all you do is talk about your profession, or your happiness, or emotional well-being is caught up in how well you're doing at your profession, then you're finding your identity in that. And that's a dangerous place to be. And so, you don't have to be defined by your past, your problems, your parents' profession. And if you come up with another P, throw it in there, all right? What what I'm saying is this. What I'm saying is this. Make sure that you don't live your life defined by something you ought not to be defined by. Don't find your identity in the wrong things. And so he said, wait, what's the alternative? What's the positive side of that? Well, look there in your notes. In Christ, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior in Christ, you are a new creation. You are a new creation. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5. I want your eyes to fall on this verse. Right before Galatians, so you ought to be close. 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 17 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. All of chapter 5 in 2 Corinthians is just an awesome chapter. But listen to what he says in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is a born-again believer in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. And then to kind of drive that point home, the old has passed away. And behold, the new has come. So, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are saved, then you are a brand new person. So, wait, I don't feel like a brand new person. Well, by faith, you are. You believe what the Bible says, right? That's what faith means. You believe what God says. And if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a brand new person, a brand new creation in Christ. The old you is gone. And the old you only gets a say-so in your life if you let the old you have a say-so. He's dead, unless you try to resurrect him and say, hey, why don't we live the old way for a little while? If you're a Christian, you are, you are in Christ. You are a new creation. And that is an awesome reality. And so you don't have to walk around defined by your past or your problems or your parents, your profession. You can walk around letting people see the change that Jesus has wrought in your life as he's made you a brand new person. That's a much better way to live. A much more fulfilling way to live. Number two, in Christ, you are justified. You are justified. This is, is what amazes me when, when Christians can't get past their past. Because they're missing the freedom of justification. Justification is a legal term that the Bible uses that speaks of Jesus dying on the cross, taking the penalty for our sins. And because he did that, when we embrace Christ by faith, God declares over our life not guilty. It's a judicial term. And God's saying, because your sins have been paid for by my son and you've accepted his payment, I'm declaring you not guilty for all the sins you've committed. That's a pretty awesome thing, right? That's why it says over in 
Romans 5.1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We've been reconciled to holy God because our sins have been washed away. You know what kept you far away from God? Your sin, your impurity, it was a big barrier between you and a holy God. But when you met Christ, he washed all that stuff away. And now you can come into the presence of a holy God and enjoy a relationship with him because you've been justified. Spade, what about my past? Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you know Christ, if you've been saved, you're not under condemnation anymore. You've been declared not guilty. So stop walking around, hanging your head, filtering life through your failures. You've been forgiven. Now live as a person that is amazed by grace and is so grateful for what God has done for you and and so excited that you want other people to know what He's done for you. That's a much better way to live, right? It's an identity issue. I'm not who I was. I'm new and I'm justified. My sins have been washed away. The God of the universe has spoken over my life Wade is not guilty. That's why they call it good news, right? You are justified. I could go on, but let me go to the next one. In Christ also, not only are you a new creation, you are justified, you are adopted. Turn back to Galatians. You're in St. Corinthians, go to the next book, Galatians. We'll just go back and forth all night. Look in Galatians chapter 4 with me. Love this passage. Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. We could say a lot about the fullness of time and human history and it being the perfect time to send the Messiah, but we won't do that tonight. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, the Virgin Mary, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Abba's an Aramaic term. It's a, it's a term of endearment. Uh, you know, the term Father is a more formal way to refer to our, uh, our Father. But Abba is like saying Papa or Daddy. It's a more informal uh, way to, to speak of our Father. And he's saying, because you have been forgiven of your rebellion against the law, you, hey, hey, by the way, let's just be honest. We've all blown it. Amen? God gave us Ten Commandments. We broke them all. Because the Bible says if you're guilty of one, you've, it's like you've broken them all. All right? So we've broken the Ten Commandments. We, we've, we've blown it. But, but God in His grace sent His Son to take our penalty for us for breaking the law. And we embrace Him by faith. He forgives us. And then He brings us in, into this relationship with God whereby we can call Him Abba Father. The Spirit comes into our life to, to give us the wherewithal to call the God of the universe Papa. Or Abba. A familiar, intimate term. And it's all because of Jesus. He says there in verse 7, So you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. In other words, you have the same capacity 
for relationship with God as your father that Jesus has with God as his father. You're a co-heir with Christ. That's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? And so, because you've been saved by Jesus, you are adopted. And you've heard me say this before, but if all God did was justify us, wouldn't that be enough? If God just said not guilty, we would say, hey, we'll take it. We're, we're grateful, God, that we're not guilty. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. But God didn't stop with justification. Not only did he declare us not guilty, he took off his judge robes and he embraces us as our father. How incredible is that? We have been adopted by God. And let that be your identity. Not your past or your problems or your parents or your profession. Let your identity be, I am a child of God. I've been adopted by His grace. And, and, and I may have trouble and trial in my life and hardship in my life, but I know this, God's my Father. And ultimately, everything's going to be alright. Amen? That's identity. Finding your identity in Christ. There's a song that was out, uh, I came, came out a couple years ago. You hear it every now and then on the radio, but I love it. The chorus says, Hello, my name is child of the one true king. I've been saved, I've been changed, I've been set free. Amazing grace is the song I sing. Hello, my name is child of the one true king. That's identity. That's who you are now because of Jesus. Not because you're good, but because he's good. Amen? That's who you are. You are adopted. You're a child of God. So rest in that. Rejoice in that. Share that with others. So that becomes the primary thought that people have when they talk to you. I'm talking to a blood-bought, spirit-filled child of God that just can't get over grace. That's a much better way for people to view your life as, as opposed to Eeyore. Amen? So we're talking about identity, and there's more I could say. I, I could have gone on and on. We could have talked about being a saint. When you're in Christ, you're a saint, not, be, not because you're good, but because God has set you apart. And he calls you a saint, even though you've done some bad stuff. You're a saint. You don't achieve sainthood. You're given sainthood as a gift by God. We could have talked about that, but we're not going to do it, all right? There's more things I could say, but, but just know that you find your identity in Christ. That's why you need a Savior to find a new identity. You're not defined by this world. You're not defined by the pace of life. You're not defined by the pressures of life. You're not de- defined by the pain of life. You're defined by your unbreakable relationship with God made available through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's identity. I'm telling you, this is, this is really, really important stuff. Maybe we'll do a whole series on identity, but let's go to the next one. Number four, you need a Savior to give your burdens to. You need a Savior to give your burdens to. Look with me in 1 Peter chapter 5. Quoted from this chapter earlier, speaking of Satan, the, the roaring lion, seeks to devour us. But right before that verse, it says something wonderful in verse 7. Let's back up to verse 6 to kind of set the context. 
Peter writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for you. And so when you have a Savior, you enter into a relationship with God. And when you enter into a relationship with God, you have someone now in your life to give your burdens to. And that's an amazing reality. This gives us peace. This gives us peace. And so we are encouraged in God's word when we feel the weight of burden, when we feel the weight of pain that we, that we cast it upon the Lord. The word, the word cast there, when it says cast your burdens upon the Lord uh, in verse 7, casting your anxieties on him, the word cast carries with the idea of, of, of rolling something on to someone else or something else. And I heard a pastor one time preaching from this, and he gave a great illustration. It was Jim Perkins gave this illustration. He said that, that one summer he was doing some, uh, some roofing, and, and his job was to carry shingles uh, up the ladder to the roof. That was his job. That was the, the grunt work. And he says, he'll never forget that the, he'd walk up the ladder with those, those shingles on his shoulder, and he'd get to the roof, and he would, he would just roll it off onto that, uh, onto that roof. And he says how good it felt to get that weight off his shoulder. And that's a picture of what it means to, to cast your cares upon the Lord. Whatever's going on in your life, and life can hurt, and life can weigh you down, just take it and through prayer, roll it on to the Lord. Say, God, this is too big for me. I can't handle it, but I know you can. You've invited me to give my burdens to you. So God, through prayer, I'm giving this to you. This is your burden. Will you help me? I'm giving it to you. Isn't that what Paul said over in Philippians uh, 4 where he said, Be anxious for nothing, but in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds, hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So what he's saying is this, when you feel anxious, pray about it, and God will lift the anxiety away and replace it with peace. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? And I'm telling you, this is one of the most simple but most profound things that's offered us in God's Word. When you feel anxious, stop and pray about it. And God will lift the anxiety. He'll give you peace. That's what the, the Word says. And you say, wait, okay, I do that, but ten minutes later I'm anxious again. What should I do? Pray again. Well, okay, I prayed again, but that night when I lay down in bed, I started thinking about it again. What should I do? Pray. Give it back to God. If you have to do it a hundred times during the day, keep giving it to God. Cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. Roll it on to God. Give your burdens to Him. Listen, why would you hold on to your burdens and try to manage them yourself when God says, give them to me? Why would you do that? It's just silly, isn't it? I was somewhere with uh, my, my second son, Caleb, the other day. And we were walking out of a store. I can't remember exactly where we were, but he had something heavy. And, you know, he was kind of weighing it down. I said, Caleb, can I take that from you? And, and I just grabbed it and just lifted it from him. And it was, not too, it was not too big for me, but it was big for my little guy. And that's the picture. Why hold on to something that's going to weigh you down when, when your father wants just to take it from you and replace it with peace, Right? 
That's why you need a Savior. Because when you have a Savior, God is your Father. You have a relationship with Him, and He's calling out, Give me your burdens. Now, let's think of it this way. If you don't have a Savior, who are you going to cast your burdens on? And who's going to replace that burden with peace? No one can give you peace that surpasses all comprehension except God. And you can't experience that unless you know Him as Lord and Savior. And so you need a Savior in the the craziness of life so that you have someone to give your burdens to. And then number five. You need a Savior to have eternal life. You need a Savior to, to experience abundant life. You need a Savior to find your identity. You, you need a Savior to give your burdens to. But, but fifth and last, you need a Savior to live a contented life. You need a Savior to live a contented life. I said this earlier, but when you have Jesus, even if you have nothing else, you have enough. Turn to Hebrews 13. I want to show you how a relationship with Christ directly, directly impacts your level of contentment. Look what it says in Hebrews 13. Don't raise your hand, but I wonder if we have someone here tonight that, that just really struggle with discontentment. Maybe discontentment with, with stuff. You wish you had a, a bigger house or a, a newer car or... Uh, more money in your 401k or a different job and uh, living in a different area or whatever. And you're just, you're just always just discontent with life. And you think, if I can just get that to that next level, then I'll be able to take a deep breath and just then I'll really live it up. Life will be good then, right? The whole grass is greener scenario. Listen to me. And, and I wish I could... Shout this from the rooftops. I wish they would let me use the emergency broadcasting system on the tornado sirens, you know, when you hear the voice all over Hernando before they test it. The other day I, was, I walked to my son's school to eat lunch with him, and I was walking back, and I was right by that thing when it went off, and that was not pleasant. And um, it was loud. But I wish I could get on the loudspeaker and say, stuff will not satisfy. You're chasing stuff and... And, and you're just going to hit dead end after dead end after dead end because stuff never delivers satisfaction. It never delivers contentment. No matter what you get, you just want what's next. You just want what's next. Look what it says in Hebrews 13, verse 5. Keep your life free from love of money. Well, that's a good word, isn't it? Keep your life free from love of money. And be content with what you have. Keep your life free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. You say, wait, how can I do that? Well, look what he says next. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Wow. Think about that. Keep your life free from the love of money Be content with what you have because Jesus is there. You have Jesus 
and he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. And even if you don't have a lot of money to speak of or the right kind of house or the right kind of car or the right kind of job or the right kind of location or the right kind of neighborhood, if you have Jesus, you have everything. Everything. You have Jesus, the Son of God, a personal relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so the direct correlation here is, because you have a relationship with Jesus, don't live in discontentment. You have a Savior. You don't have to live like that anymore. And then turn over to Philippians 4. I want to show you what Paul says about this. Philippians 4. Verse 10. Paul writes, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. What Paul's saying here is Paul was writing the, the, the letter to the church in Philippi from jail, and they were sending some, some, some financial resources, even some people that would come and, and tend to his needs and help him as he was in prison because the Roman government didn't, didn't uh, pamper you as a prisoner. You pretty much had to have people from the outside bringing you what you needed to eat and, and just the basic necessities of life. And he's thanking the church in Philippi. I'm so grateful that you're sending people and sending resources to help me as I'm in prison. And he says, not, verse 11, don't misunderstand me, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned, watch this, in whatever situation I am uh, to be what? Content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So Paul's saying, no matter what I'm going through in life, and Paul went through a lot. I've learned what it's like to have your belly full. I've learned what it's like to be hungry. I've learned what it's like to be safe and sound. I've learned what it's like to be drifting in the Mediterranean Sea because your, your ship was dashed upon the rocks. I've learned what it's like to be in a good spot and a difficult spot. And I've learned to be content in all of that. And you say, wait, what's his, what's his secret? How could he be content in good times and bad? Well, look at the next verse. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul is saying here, don't miss this, this verse is misused all the time. Paul is saying that Jesus gives me the strength to be content in any and every circumstance. That's what he's saying. So the secret to contentment is, coming close, Jesus. That's the secret, right? But it's really not a secret, it's just right there. Jesus is the secret to contentment. This gives us true satisfaction. True satisfaction. I don't think that it's any accident that that Jesus used a couple of metaphors that spoke of this satisfying relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. He called himself in John 6 the the bread of life. And he said, if you believe in me, you'll never be hungry again. Your spiritual soul, your soul will be filled with all that you need. Because I'm the bread of life. And remember what he said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4? He said, I'll offer you living water. 
And if you drink this water by believing in me, he's saying, you'll never, what, thirst again. Why? Because I will satisfy the deepest longings, the deepest needs of your soul. And so you need a Savior to live a contented life. To have someone there, Jesus, who will provide for you what you need, the strength you need, the perspective you need to live a contented life, even if life is difficult. And so, listen to me. You don't have to walk around overloaded and overwhelmed all the time. You don't have to live harried and frenzied and, and, and exhausted. You have a Savior. And if you ask Him, and if you walk with Him, He will give you the contentment, the wherewithal, the satisfaction that you need. So you're not chasing all this other stuff that everyone else is chasing. Remember I said last week that one of our problems is we want what our neighbor has? Listen to me. If you live a contented life through the power of Jesus Christ, stuff will just begin to lose its appeal. As the old hymn says, it'll, it'll grow strangely dim. And so we need Jesus. We need a Savior to live a contented life. We'll quote to you the words of a song. It's an old hymn called Satisfied. Anybody ever heard that song, Satisfied? Great song, and I would sing it to you, but I'll spare you that. I love to sing, and I think God didn't give me the ability because if I had the ability, I'd just sing all the time. I think he wants me to focus on preaching. So, here's the, here's the song. I'll read you the first four verses, and then I'll close with the chorus. All my life long I had panted for a drink from some cool spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. Feeding on the filth around me till my strength was almost gone, longed my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. Poor I was and sought for riches, Something that would satisfy. But the dust I gathered round me only mocked my soul's sad cry. Well of water ever springing, bread of life so rich and free. Untold wealth that never faileth, my Redeemer is to me. Hallelujah! He has found me. The one my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies all my longings through his blood. I now am saved. I like that. Don't you like that? People are all around you in your life, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family. And they're searching for satisfaction in all the wrong places. And you found the one that satisfies every longing of your heart and soul. Share the living water. Share the bread of life. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite definitions of evangelism is this. Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find the bread. That's what evangelism is. It's just you going to someone that's lost and far from God and saying, Hey, I found the bread. I found the bread. His name is Jesus. 
And so those are just some thoughts as to why you need a Savior. And, and you got to have that. That's why I put it first in the seven. You got to get that straightened out first. Because if you don't get that straightened out, you're going to be chasing all the wrong things instead of pursuing a growing, intimate, deepening relationship with Jesus Christ, the lover of your soul. So next week, we're going to talk about the Sabbath. Why you and I need a Sabbath. God has built the idea of rest into the rhythm of the created order. And you and I are going to talk about why that's so important. And if we try to, we try to circumvent that, we get ourselves into all sorts of exhaustion and overload and, and all of that. So we're going to talk about that next week. What the Sabbath is, what it means for Christians in the here and now, and, and how you live that out in your day-to-day life. So I hope you'll be back for that very, very important, uh, important lesson next week. A uh, little early, any questions before we um, close down tonight? Any questions based upon our conversation tonight? It was really my conversation. You weren't saying much at all. Any, uh, any questions before we, before we close tonight? Any questions? All right, let me uh, pray for us, and then I got just some closing instructions, and, and then we'll be through. Father, uh, we're so grateful for the truth of your word. We're so grateful. Lord, we could just keep digging and digging and digging, thinking about all of the, the, the blessings that come when you know Jesus as your Savior. And Lord, I, I just pray that, uh, Lord, if there's anyone in here that does not have that aspect of their life nailed down, if they've never embraced you as Lord and Savior, that you would grip their heart, show them their need for a Savior, give them a, Lord, a, a, a restless heart, until they find their rest in you. We'll, we'll thank you for that grace, Lord. I pray that for those of us that know Christ, that the rest of this week would just be a time of us reestablishing our identity in Christ, casting our burdens upon Christ, finding our satisfaction in Christ, experiencing abundance because of the work of Christ in our lives. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.